Well, good morning. As you saw, it's a sign-up Sunday out there, so we have to... I, I, I'm tempted to just delay till everybody works their way in here, but maybe if we get to the good stuff right now, they'll miss out, and then you guys will feel good about the fact that you were very obedient to Mrs. Clancy when she told you to sit down, so that's good. Uh, a couple of things before I dive into my content this morning. Um, we A uh, couple of different hiring situations that have been going on here at the church. We had a job position open for an administrative assistant. Uh, we had a number of resumes submitted, and we went through uh, went through those. We ended up uh, deciding to hire Jennifer Rebo as our administrative assistant. So all of you know, most of you know Jen if you've been around. Jen was our Gateway Center manager when we had the event center here, and she also is our bookkeeper. And so when she submitted an application, a lot of the programs that we use here, she's already familiar with. So we're really uh, grateful for Jen to be on board. Uh, she's always around anyway, helping us out with things, and so that works out well. So thank you, Jen. Thank you to all of you who submitted resumes. Really appreciate that. Uh, we also have an opening uh, for some custodial work. Uh, every week there's a lot of cleaning that goes on. Uh, by a lot, I mean several hours work. And uh, April Hyman has been uh, working for us in that capacity for a while, but she's doing some things with the children's ministry now. And so we need somebody to do some custodial work for us on a weekly basis. So if you have any questions about that, uh, you can talk to Sherea, who was up here today, giving announcements about that. So let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we appreciate so much what you've done for us. Lord, when we did not deserve or earn our salvation, Lord, yet you rescued us, even while we were Sinners, you died for us, your scripture says. Even all those years ago, you paid the price before any of us were even born. And we were rescued in that. So Lord, we come before you thankful today and humble, knowing that it's not about us, it's not about what we can build or what we can do, it's about who you are and what you're doing on the earth. You said you'd build your church. Father, we're a part of that and we're so grateful today. Father, I pray that you would, Lord, just help me to articulate your word this morning, Lord, as we examine the scripture and talk about values. And Father, I just submit myself to you, Lord, and I pray for everyone here, Lord, that their hearts would be open to receive from the scripture. Lord, we know that your scripture is more than just text. It's alive. It's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It, it divides inside of us. Even. So, Father, I pray that your scripture would go out and do what you send it to do today. You're the reason that we're here. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been talking about... Uh, values, and talking about some of the things that we focus on as a group, and you know we've we've talked about authenticity as a value. We want to be authentic because God's authentic. He is who He says He is. We want to be who we say we are. We want to be real. We want to be authentic. We want to be generous. So authenticity, generosity. Did Anita do a great job last week, or what? Uh, Anita and Jay have a fantastic story of growing in generosity and understanding God's generosity in the heart of God, and she did a great job with that last week. We've talked about that's authenticity, generosity. We talk about commitment. God is committed. We're also called to be committed. Uh, we talked about family. God calls us his family. He uses that language all the time in Scripture. So the nature of our relationships should take on that kind of depth, that kind of connection that we see in healthy families. So you've got authenticity, generosity, 
commitment. I've been talking about development. And family was the other one Jason covered. And I'm going to continue this week to talk about development because I think it's such an important thing. And, and uh, I, I covered some thoughts uh, last time I spoke two weeks ago. And so I just want to cover them very briefly. We took some time and dissected Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses uh, 11 through 16. And we unpacked a lot of the different clues that we see in there about God's heart for us. Really understanding that in the end, uh, we are called to grow up. God's got us on a process of growing up. That we would come into a place of maturity. That we start out like infants, consuming infant-level food, and then we grow up into Christ and become more and more mature as we go. And so that puts us in this uncomfortable position of having to ask the question, am I growing? Am I growing up? Am I developing? Am I becoming who God has called me to be? Am I walking out that process? Or am I content to have prayed a prayer once in my life and attend a church twice a year? And is that good enough for my development? And we want to challenge that idea that God has called you to be in an ongoing, developing growth with Him. A couple of the scriptures that we looked at, uh, one I want to focus in on again, just briefly part of it, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 said, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained their sensibilities to distinguish good from evil. Constant use, maturity. What, we're, we're consuming the word of God. We're growing in our relationship with God. And through that constant use of the scripture and his word, we're training our sensibilities to be able to distinguish good from evil. We can unpack a lot, each word by word, there's a lot of uh, rich principle in there. The idea that we become mature, the idea that we're supposed to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Scripture, and that we actually put it to use, and that by its use we start to train our own sensibilities so that when we're walking day to day in our lives, we understand good from evil and we can recognize circumstances and, and understand the heart of God for how we are to live. Therefore, let's leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on towards maturity. That's the heart behind the value of development, that we would all as individuals be becoming more mature in our knowledge of God and our understanding about who He is, but that that would also lead us to be growing in our relationship with Him. It's about more than knowledge. It's about relationship with God. God didn't recon reconcile the creation back to Himself so that you could gather information. He reconciled creation to Himself that your life could be transformed. Big difference. And so knowledge is an important key component of that. We, we read the scripture. We listen to people yell at us from the pulpit. We, we listen to podcasts. We read books, all kinds of things, in order that we would become more understanding about who God is because he's, he's infinite. There's only so much we can grasp in this life about who he is. And so we want to continue to be growing in our knowledge of God. But, God, but knowledge needs to lead us to principles in the way we live, and it needs to lead us to action. It's not sufficient just to gain knowledge, but that we put that knowledge to use. And that's where we talked about wisdom. Wisdom is the accurate use of knowledge or the healthy use of knowledge. We want to take what we've learned, we want to take what we know about God, and we want to put it into action, which leads me really into what I want to talk about today, is that God has called us to continue to develop in terms of our relationship with Him. What is a disciple? Jesus had disciples. We're called to make disciples of all nations. 
And in some ways, we look at that as an archaic word. We think of a stained glass guy in a robe in a cathedral somewhere. That was a disciple. But really, the word disciple is someone who is learning. Someone is learning. So anyone that's learning about God, learning Christianity, they're a, a disciple. They're a follower of Christ. And, and when it comes to um, Jesus, disciples are, are more than just a student. They're someone who's been adopted into his family. There's a big difference between just being a student and being a son or a daughter, someone that's been adopted into the family of Christ. God has reconciled us to himself. We talked about out of, out of Corinthians having the, the, uh, the ministry of reconciliation. We're all called to be ministers. Okay, we, 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 we've ended up in this situation in our society where we have, you know, we have ministers and then we have average Joes. And that's just not, that's not how the scripture paints that picture. We're all called to ministry. We're all called to be doing something in this kingdom to grow and develop others and ourselves. And so we all have a part to play. And I hope that you just have a little bit of wrestling in, inside of you right now with the fact that I just said that, going, eh, I don't know if I'm really called to do anything. But I would tell you that the scripture tells us otherwise, that we're all called to grow in our ministry and our maturity. We all have a part to play in this family. It's a family deal. But we have been adopted into his family. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. Uh, I, some of these scriptures I don't, uh, because they're a little bit lengthy, I didn't put them all on the screen. Some of them I did, so uh, hopefully you can follow along. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Paul writing to the church in Rome. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Plenty to unpack there. Key verse, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I think Anita mentioned this last week. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's a profound thought. Provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. There's such a, so much to the scripture, you know, that, that we can unpack. And I think it's just really important, particularly when we're early on in our walk with God and our knowledge of who he is, that we understand that we aren't slaves of God. And we don't operate in our relationship with God out of a fearfulness. Yes, we fear God in the sense that we, he's the judge of the living and the dead. He will determine our ultimate destination. So there's a healthy reverence for God that we need to have and reverence for what he has to say. But it's not this kind of thing where we need to be living in constant fear, being struck by lightning with every little thing that we do. We're his son or his daughter. We're his family. And he, I think God is so wise in his design, the way he designed the family and the way he, he, he uh, put inside of us a love for our children and people that are in our family. It's just a, it's a, there's a depth there in that love. And, it, you know, I don't know about you. I mean, we didn't all grow up in functional homes. But in an ideal situation, 
you, you love your children deeply. And even when they make mistakes, even when you're disciplining them, even when you're frustrated with them, you still love them. They are little humans that you would give your life for and in many ways have. And God is, does the same for us. He sees us as children. And so we don't, we don't fall into this slavery mindset or a fearful mindset, but we are called to be children of God. And not that we treat that flippantly or lightly. We read a story in the, you know, the parable of the, uh, the prodigal son the son asks for his inheritance, and he goes and he squanders it. We have an inheritance. We don't want to squander it. We have a great opportunity given us by God, and we don't want to just act flippantly about it or treat it as though it's not a big deal. It's a very big deal. It has, it has eternity in mind. And so it matters. We are adopted. And for some of us to, I'm sure there are many that, to stop and think about, man, to be adopted into a fully functional, completely healthy uh, father situation. Wow. I'm really glad for that. Galatians chapter 3, verses 29, and then through chapter 4, verse 7. And if you are Christ's, in other words, if you have given your life to Christ, if you believe in Him that, that God has raised Him from the dead and He is the ultimate sacrifice for your sins, then you are Abraham's offspring. Wait, what? I just changed family trees. I, I jumped from the Quigley family tree to the Abraham family of tree by a Abraham's family tree uh, by being in Christ. That is how real it is. You know, way back in the Old Testament, God made promises to Abraham and his offspring, and we we understood that to be the nation of Israel throughout all those years. But Paul's then opening our minds to understand that this is a faith-based promise that God made to Abraham, and when we come into faith uh, in Christ, we become Abraham's children. And that means a lot when you study the Scripture. If you look to the Scripture, who Abraham was, what he represented, it's significant that you and I, who are in Christ, are also his children because we are, next line, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers, until the date set by his father. In the same way, with that same imagery in mind, and that, with that same kind of a concept, also when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is like saying, Daddy. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is your new identity when you are in Christ. You've entered into a relational situation with God. He's, he, not only is he the magnanimous creator of the universe, awesome, far above all things and beyond our comprehension, and how could we ever think he has any time for us, and yet he becomes our father, and we join his family. And that in and of itself has transformative power for us. Think of the security. Think of the comfort. 
Think of relating to God as more than minions, <laughs> more than slaves, more than those who he just drives a whip to do his bidding. He's a gracious and compassionate and loving father who loves us deeply, so deeply that he rescued us when he didn't have to. Every once in a while, you let your kids stick their finger in a light socket and teach them a lesson, right? Or am I just a bad dad? <laughs> Sometimes we let our kids stumble and fall, and we teach them and discipline and let them work out the consequences of their actions. But boy, if their life is really in danger, we dive right in to rescue. And that's what your Heavenly Father did for you. He made a way when you couldn't. It's really important that in our development, in our growing, in our march towards maturity, the journey or the path that we're on towards growing up, that we come to a healthy understanding of our relationship with God as our Father, the one who both disciplines and cares for us and loves us deeply. How do we do that? How do we grow in our relationship with God? I saw a comic strip recently, like just making fun of Christians saying the idea of having a personal relationship with God. And and uh, I just, it kind of grieved me a little bit. And because uh, we can get kind of silly about it, I think, sometimes. But it is what God has called us to. A day-to-day -day walk with God. So much so, like we just read, that he, he takes the spirit of himself and puts it in you. He takes himself and puts it in your heart, in your inner being. He's like, I'm going to make you, I'm going to connect with you in a way that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put who I am inside of you, that while you're going through life, I'm going to help steer you. I'm going to help you learn. I'm going to help you grow. I'm going to help you hear my voice. I'm going to help you study my word. I'm going to put myself in you. That's, that's significant. And so we walk day to day. Those who walk by the Spirit of God are sons of God, that we have God's breath in us every day in everything that we do and all the circumstances we face to guide us in that. But how do we, how do we grow in that? Because we can just say, well, I have a personal relationship with God. Well, what do you do, sit down and have tea with him in the morning? Like, how does this work? Does he show up and what does he look like? But I think in, in reality, it more has to do with things like prayer, things like being in the Word of God. Or serving others. I want to look at a few of those. We want to be in the Word. What is the Word? It's, it's your Bible there that everybody brought today, right? You dusted it off the shelf, got it off the shelf and dusted it off this morning and brought it. Or it's on your, your device. It's more than a historical document. It's more than just a textbook. It is the Word of God. It says of itself, it self-testifies that it is alive and active, as I prayed earlier, that it is authoritative, that it is sufficient, that it is without error, that it is to be obeyed. That makes it more than just a textbook or something interesting to learn <laughs> history from. It's as alive today as it was when he spoke creation into existence. And what it does it's why, it's why when we preach, we've got to have the Scripture as kind of our main thing that substantiates whatever it is we're talking about because it's where the real power lies. I don't have the authority. If I were just operating in my own authority and just giving you all the information I know, I might bore you to death and you could leave and not listen to me. What, who cares what I have to say about things? But when God has to say it, and we're looking at what God has to say, it comes with an authority. 
And so we want to be people of the Word. We want to be people that know what God has said. We want to understand God's uh, his history of redemption, which is really what the Scripture is. It's like looking at salvation from where it started when man fell, when God created and man fell. And then he, he lays out this timeline of many different events and things that go on leading us to Christ and even how the church is going to develop and continue to make disciples until, his, until he returns. It's a powerful source. And, and when we preach it, when we read it, it goes out and it does something. It's alive and active. It's like, you're, it's like eating food. You're consuming something and it goes into you and it produces something. And so that's why when we, when we look at all the scriptures that we're looking at today, we want them to go inside of us and we want them to start to turn and make us think and make us prompt us to change or draw us closer to God or help us understand our own identity as children in God, whatever it is. But we want to be people of the word. One of the best psalms, in my opinion, is the first psalm, the very first one, and it says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Sometimes when we see the word law in the scripture, we instantly think of all of the Mosaic law, but really it's the instruction of God. It's the things that God has instructed us. Blessed is the man or woman who puts his delight in God and meditates on that instruction. Where do we see that? In the word. Timeless truths and principles that God has given to us. And when we, we're thinking on these things and we're studying these things, what, it, what is it? It does something in our lives. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. When we're, when we're studying the Word of God, when we're learning about God, we are, it's not just about, we're, we're learning to know God by consuming his Scripture. And it makes us like that tree. I mean, I could just picture a, a, a fruitful tree planted near the stream. It's always producing fruit. It's always green because it's always at the source. It's always drinking from those scriptures and growing in that knowledge and that relationship with God. We want to be a people of the scripture. Uh, Timothy chapter 3, Paul's writing Timothy, a young man that he was training and Timothy was growing up under Paul's ministry, and Paul was instructing him. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What does this word do? It trains us in righteousness. We just saw earlier that it would sharpen our sensibilities. That's what spending time in the word does for us. And it's something we want to practice and do. You know, both Paul and Peter referred to each other's writings as Scripture. There is a couple of instances in the New Testament where they actually refer to their own writings as Scripture. So it's more than just Paul referring back to those Old Testament writings. It's also the New Testament writings. Another thing I want to say about developing and growing up and how do we do that? How do we practically do that. Well, we know we read the Word, but I say this to my kids all the time, particularly when they were younger and we tuck them in bed at night, God wants to hear from you. 
Your heavenly Father wants to hear from you. He wants you to pray. He wants you to engage with him. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Jeremiah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, chapter 33, verse 3. God's saying, call to me. Call to me. We read in that psalm this morning during worship. David, he was threatened all around, and he cried out aloud to God. The word that I caught in that sentence this time, aloud. He did it aloud. He didn't just quietly you know, suppress what he was feeling and hope that God rescued him. He cried out to God. And God honors our words. Our words are powerful. We could totally go off on that issue today, but we're not going to. When, we're, you know, when something's in here, it's one thing. But then when we speak it, it becomes more. And we, God wants us to speak to him. He wants us to pray. Call to me, and I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. And, and don't you know that's true? When we're going through the scripture and we're, we're asking God to lead us and we're following his spirit and studying and those kind of things, he begins to reveal things to us. I'm like, oh, that word aloud. I just caught that today. It's the first time I noticed it and it meant anything to me. Never thought about it before. But today the spirit went, David cried aloud, J.R. He spoke out to God of what he needed. He cried out to him. Paul writing to the Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, God doesn't want to hear about that. God's busy, you know, running the universe. He doesn't want to hear my cry for some little thing. You know, what is my life and who am I? I'm just a speck in the universe. What does it matter? And yet Paul gives us permission and encourages us here to make our requests known to God. God wants to hear from you because he's a loving father. It's like you love it when your kid comes. You know, sometimes he drives you crazy coming to you all the time with different things, but we just love it when our kids come and they actually want to talk. They actually want to engage about something. And hopefully we take advantage of those moments when, with our kids. He's a better father than we are. He's a better parent. When we run to our Father, He hears us, and He wants to hear from us. God wants to hear from you. Great proverb, chapter 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. God has hidden so many things in His creation, and there's so much mysteries and so much truth and principles and things. And he, it's, it, we see it in creation, and we catch glimpses of it in the Scripture, and and yet, we're called to seek it out, to dig and uncover what profound things we might find in our relationship with God and understanding who He is. Romans chapter 8, verses 11, just prior to what we read earlier. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, we've already established this truth, God's given us His Spirit. If the Spirit dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. So when you're crying out to God, when you're praying, when you're trying to figure out how to navigate circumstances in your life, his spirit is right there with you, in you, to lead you. So when you pray, he hears your prayer. When you listen, he's right there. 
When you're seeking, he's right there. You don't have to send him an email. You don't have to hop on the phone and hope that your, your words make it through the universe to wherever he is. He's right here. He's within you and around you. He's holding all things together. He hears your prayer and he wants to hear from you. That idea of being led by the Spirit, uh, you know, it's, it's like being carried along, like day by day. Like it, it draws my thinking back to the idea of development. Why is development a value? Because we don't just have this momentary experience with God when we give our life to Him. When we have that kind of aha moment, God, uh, I, I believe in this message of the gospel. Yes, it's, a, it's significant. It's a huge part of it. But then begins a journey, a day-by-day life, where we're, God is sanctifying us. He's transforming us. We're growing in our relationship with Him. And so if we're led by the Spirit, it's day-by-day one foot in front of the other, every day with God. Making my requests known to Him. Reading His Word and understanding and growing in who He is. And of course, it's awesome, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, teaching us that we have the mind of Christ. That's awesome. I kind of touched on this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but I think the way I picture things is, when you know the world, the worldly system, our sinful, our own sinful nature, it like always has a current to it. There's always a pull, a magnetism. And if we stop moving towards God, if we just stop growing in our relationship with God, if we stop seeking Him, we will just naturally gravitate back the other direction. We'll stagnate. It's not okay for us to stay still. It's not okay for us not to grow. We need to always be growing. We don't want to be stagnant. We want to be fruitful. I've preached several times in the past, for those of you who have been around a while, you've heard, but I'm going to touch on it real briefly here. In our development with God, in our growing our relationship with Him, in our seeking Him and understanding, He's expecting a fruitfulness to begin to develop. God expects fruit. What do I mean by fruit? He expects the actions that we take to have an impact. So we don't just learn about God, and we don't just pray to God because it's just for the heck of it. We do it because we want to grow and become better, and so that our lives begin to bear fruit. The relationships we have with one another start to produce something healthy. When a, a tree is planted and it grows, it very naturally in its development eventually produces fruit, right? And we are the same way. As long as we're putting down roots and watering ourselves and growing up, we will produce fruit. Whether it's in the, the just the day-to-day relationships with our family, what we sow into our children, what we're sowing into our marriage, and how we encourage one another in our marriages and relationships, or whether it's our co-workers or any place we have fun, whatever it is, God is expecting fruit to develop. I want to look at a couple of uncomfortable passages of Scripture. This is very convicting. And out of John chapter 15, and, and if I could give you assignments. Can I start giving assignments every week? Would that be okay? Well, your assignment this week is to unpack John chapter 15. But I want to read uh, just the first few verses in John 15. I am, the vi- I am the true vine. Jesus is talking about himself. I am the true vine. Okay, And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit... 
he takes away. So there's an expectation there of fruit bearing or some limbs get chopped off. And every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Ah, pruning can be painful in order that we become more fruitful. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. So if you're the branch, Jesus is the vine, we abide in him. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to bear much fruit. Well, my relationship with God and that, that development process uh, to cause me to get to a place where whatever God has called me to in the kingdom, I'm talking me and you, whatever he's called us to in the kingdom as individuals and corporately, that it will bear much fruit. He it is that bears much fruit who remains connected to the vine, who is in that relationship with God, in studying the word and praying and following him, making him a part of our day-by-day lives. There's a uh, parable of the unfruitful fig tree. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, this is Jesus speaking, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, this is out of Luke 13, totally different account of the gospel. Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And the vine dresser er, and then he answers him, Sir, let it alone for this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And that's kind of the idea. It's a picture of our life process sometimes. Like, yeah, we do go through seasons where we're not bearing much fruit. We're distracted or we're struggling or whatever it is. But, but, the, but Jesus comes around and he, he fertilizes the soil around us, right? And you know what fertilizer is made of? Sometimes we have a lot of that in our lives too. There's a lot of purpose behind that, that it fertilizes our roots and helps us grow strong that we would produce more, right? There's a parable of the talents. We won't go into that today. But making ultimately this idea of development, you know, God called us to make disciples of all nations. And disciples are learners. We're all in this adventure together where we're, we are learning together. We're growing together. And hopefully we're bringing more people in to learn about God and to grow in their relationship with Him. Our ultimate goal, this fruitfulness, should lead us to making disciples. Making disciples really is a goal. It's the fruitfulness of this kingdom that we all would be making disciples. I think sometimes we tend to picture that as like, me as an individual is completely responsible for the total raising of this person as a disciple. I don't think that's very often the case. I think it's a family business. I think some, you know, I have an impact in a certain way. Janny has an impact in a certain way. Tyler and Leslie do some things. Jen does some. Everybody comes together and all. I mean, think of how many people have invested in your life. How many different people it takes for you to grow? Because there's different gifts, there's different abilities, there's different personalities, and all of that enriches us. And so when we come together for this effort of making disciples, I think we'll do a really good. We could do a really good job of that. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is Romans chapter 10. There's some good news. How then will they call on him of whom they've not heard, or whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's us. We are sent. I want to get a little practical on you here for a minute. Um, one of the things that we've been working on behind the scenes, and you know, because we want to be, we want to be fruitful. We want to, we want to be sure that we're answering that call of God on our lives to make disciples. And so, one of the things we've been talking about in preparation for going to two services and continuing forward is how to evaluate that. And so, uh, there's there's kind of five categories or ways that that I look at this, and we're kind of using this as a team. Uh, it's the idea that, you know, where are we at in the journey? We have people that don't believe, don't even believe. We have people that visit on Sunday mornings that are just seeking to learn some more about God. They're not sure they believe. Uh, they're, they're seeking. And then we have people who have been Christians for 50 years, and they lead things, and they're productive, and all those things. So how do we be um, uh, diligent, um, uh, faithful with that? And so we look at where's, where are people on this journey? And, and so there's, there's five things that I would look at. It'd be inform, believe, connect, activate, and lead. Some people we just need to inform. People that don't believe in God. People that are just seeking and trying to understand, are we able to inform them about who God is? Do we have that capability? Do I as an individual, do we as a group have things to help people get informed about who God is? Or maybe they're a little further along in the journey. How do we help them believe? How do we actually lead them to Christ? How, in those first, those first few months that we come to Christ, do we know how to make disciples? Can we be diligent in the way that we're raising people up? And you might see yourself somewhere, if this were a spectrum, you might see yourself somewhere in here. And we want to take people from step to step in their relationship with God and growing as disciples. We don't only want to inform and then help people believe. We want to connect them. We want to be connected as a family. I believe and we teach that the kingdom of God is in the context of community. There are no lone rangers. This is about the diversity of the gifts of Christ, the diversity of, of people coming together to be the church together. So there's community. We want to get people connected. But beyond that, then we want to activate them. Out here, we got some people leading small groups today. They're starting up a group. They're activated. They're using what they know and who they are and what they're passionate about or how God's gifted them in order to serve the purposes of the kingdom. Are you activated in this work somehow? Whether it be the person that cleans the building or the person that preaches on Sunday morning. We're all called to be activated in our faith. We don't want to just learn. We want to grow to the point where we're doing where it's causing us to take action, and ultimately to even lead. So not only just be activated and using our gift, but it's where we start to get to where we can train other people too. It's not enough that I, I just talk about these things. Am I raising up other leaders to be able to do the same thing? Am I sowing into lives that they would become more than just connected, but activated and eventually leading in their own way? And when we're talking about leading, I'm not just talking about this kind of leading that I'm doing today, or I do as over the church, but every little thing in our lives, are we actually going beyond just doing to where we're actually raising up other people? Where, what is leadership? It's influence. Nothing more, nothing less, according to John Maxwell. Am I going beyond just doing stuff to where I'm influencing people to a greater degree? And so when, when we want to make the disciples or have that conversation about 
are we being diligent about it? Sometimes we look at it through some lens like this. But right now, this is what it's at. But where do you see yourself on that? I'm just seeking. I'm just looking for information. I'm trying to learn about God. Or I'm at that point where I think I believe. Or I'm early in my belief. How do I learn those basics? Well, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I've been disconnected. How do I connect? And on and on, et cetera, et cetera. In a perfect world, from my point of view, you all would be launched out leading things before this is over. Every single person activated to a significant degree in who they are to where they're influencing other people in a significant way. So something for you to wrestle with about how we think. But pursuing God and growing in that relationship with God should lead us to serve others always. We are called to serve other people. That's who he is. That's who Jesus is. He served us even to the point of death. We want to be disciples that make disciples. Learners that make other learners. And help people develop. How am I growing? How am I helping develop others? I hope you will wrestle with these questions a little bit. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and verse 12. Indeed, this is Paul writing, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I might, may gain Christ. So he's, he's on this journey, this growth, this development. He's pursuing There's something more he's reaching for. Of course, he goes on in verse 12 later to say, not that I've already obtained all this or am already perfect, but I press on. I keep moving forward. I keep growing in what God has called me to do. I press on to make it my own, that salvation, because Christ Jesus has made me his home. Paul was a man on a journey growing in his relationship with God and growing in his gift, and the world was significantly changed because of his gift. But we're all called to grow and develop. hope that I persuaded you today that your own development is important. I hope you challenge yourself to grow. I hope you're a little provoked and embrace whatever process is next for you. What's next for you in your growth process? What's next for you in your development? You okay? Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just ask that these scriptures, these provoking words of yours, would be sown into our souls. Lord, that they would be like seeds that are planted in fertile soil, that they would be fruitful as they mature. Lord, I pray that we would all be a little provoked and encouraged by you, our loving Father, to grow up, to grow a little more this year, to serve, change, draw closer to you, to pray. God, I, I pray that particularly those words of cry out to me. That the, the idea that we would seek you, that we'd pray to you, that we'd search your word, Lord, I pray that those would go deep into our hearts today. Help us draw near to you, Lord. Help us to 
understand the nature of our love in the Father in a greater way, in greater depth. So I pray you'd be minister in life to each one today, changing hearts, changing lives, bringing that transformation to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.